So, Dan, there's some important figures in history. One of them is Notorious B.I.G., one of the great entrepreneurs of our time. Mm -hmm. I want to frame up what he did then and how we can apply it to business today. Yeah, we're going to take this street wisdom and put it onto uh, the Internet. Okay, so let's just run down through the 10 crack commandments and how they apply to business today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's the 10 crack commandments. Number one, never let no one know how much dough you hold. Never brag about that money. Number two, never let them know your next move. Don't talk about your future plans. You're going to sound like an idiot when you tell everybody you're writing a book and then you're not really writing a book that much. Number three, never trust nobody. It's not validated unless they've paid you money. Number four, never get high on your own supply. Don't believe your hype. Just because you have a lot of iTunes reviews does not mean you're producing a quality podcast. Number five, never sell no crack where you rest at. Home offices aren't always a great idea. <laughs> Number six, that credit, debt it. You think a crackhead paying you back? Forget it. Net 30 is for suckas. Number seven, and I think this rule is completely underrated, keep your family and business completely separated. Your brother is not that good of a developer anyway. Number eight, never keep no weight on you. It's best not to resolve your internal company conflicts on social media outlets. And number nine, maybe this should have been number one, if you ain't getting bagged, stay away from the police. Don't link your business name to your Google accounts. And number 10, finally, if you ain't got the clientele, say heck no. I think what Biggie's trying to say, Ian, is if you purchase inventory before your customers have bought the product, you're in deep trouble. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, I just started a podcast for the 10th time because my business partner wow. here can't even ad-lib a the simple only, thing about marketing. The only time. What's your problem, bro? Not enough green tea? What are you drinking there? Sapphire the, tea? The only time you've you ever started anymore? on take one. <laughs> I mean, I just sit back and I just know. I just, know, I just don't say anything until the fifth time. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA podcast. We're going to go without any outtakes. We'll just do it raw. We'll do it raw. See, we would do normally cu- we would normally cut that just out. Do it. What does that mean, man? What does it even mean? What are you guys implying that you should be doing it raw? Just do it raw. You should always always protect yourself when recording a podcast. Don't do it raw. <laughs> hey, we're gonna talk about DCBKK 2013. It was our big annual bash, the big event. Uh, went over probably a little better than expected. There's a lot of things we can improve, of course, as. The entrepreneur in me, all I see is mistakes. A lot of things we can improve. <laughs> mistakes are where the opportunities are to yes. make this event even better next year. But this episode, we're not going to dwell on the mistakes. Uh, in fact, well, we, we'll dedicate a whole episode to that. We'll dedicate a whole episode to that. In fact, we're going to do that. In the, let's do future talk now. <laughs> that we would cut out the future talk. <laughs> but uh, I want to talk about some of the things that I learned, some of the things that I took away uh, from these talks. Okay, real quick, Ian, me and you opened up the conference with a set of masterminds. Yeah, Friday, uh, we got 10 groups of eight together. Something like that, there was 100 people. So I don't know how exactly what the counts were. There were over 200 people who attended the conference and like 100 people who came to the masterminds. So the conversion rate on masterminds is like- Very healthy. And if you look at the DC, you've got 
780 members, over 200 of which came to Bangkok. The conversion rate on the annual meetup, I hate to say conversion rate, but that's what we're talking about here. The amount of people that joined the forum to the amount of people that flew to Bangkok to be a part of this amazing event is inspiring, really cool. Um, and then half of those people came to the masterminds and a lot of those people came up to me and said, I could have done three days of just this. Yeah, which was really good because honestly, we just weren't sure how these masterminds were gonna go. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be 15 dudes sitting around, you know, uh, drinking coffee, talking about how last year went. And it turned out that people like took it seriously. Everyone from the newest members to the biggest ballers signed up to come and and be a part of this uh, amazing day. So, so. technically speaking, uh, we sent out a document to everybody that was gonna attend the masterminds a couple days before, and it basically uh, taught people or showed people how they should be framing up their business in front of other people. Yes. Gave them a framework for which they could talk about their business and hopefully get good feedback. And uh, I sat in on a lot of these masterminds. So we did 30 minutes a piece. We just kind of rolled around the table clockwise. Uh, I got the opportunity to sit in on a lot of these talks and man, they were just awesome. Uh, people were being honest about their business. People were laying out their problems. People were receptive to constructive uh, criticism. And I thought in general, uh, most people walked away with some really good takeaways on how they could improve their business. Yeah, I, the biggest takeaway for me is that you need to be able to like hand off your business in a nice, neat package so that others can send that package out to other people who might care. So I, I Kind of like an advanced elevator pitch. There it is, it's, but it's an elevator pitch that's modular and that, that, that is, is tradable and shareable. So, you know, one of the things, I was sitting in one mastermind table and I said, all right, let's do the thought experiment. Imagine I leave right now. What is it that I tell somebody else about your business? And in that case, it was that you're cheap and that your website's good. And it's like a disaster, right? You don't want me to walk away. And when I run into somebody that needs your services, I'm like, hey, I met a guy one time that has a cheap, good website. Right, because <laughs> that's, that's the point of, uh, this happens a lot at, at conferences and this happens a lot at, in life. Somebody will tell you about yes. their business and if you want them to tell someone else about your business, uh, generally it has to be doing something exceptional. And so I think everybody's business is doing something remarkable. exceptional or remarkable. Um, you just have to frame it that way. Yeah. You just have to believe it. You know what the worst thing is now? And, and I, I make this mistake more than anybody and part of this mastermind session is helps me to resolve to get over it. It's this. Hey, Dan, what is it that you do again? Duh. No more. Like, it's too real to be the duh guy. Please step aside and figure out what it is that, that how you can provide value to others and get behind it. Don't say, oh, well, I'm kind of doing some stuff with some guys and, and you know, maybe we're going to knock that stuff off. We're all grown adults here. That's not freaking good enough. Say, look, I'm passionate about the future of web design. And because of that, I help people make great web applications, in particular in the Ruby on Rails language. Boom, that's what I do. Now, next time this guy says, oh, I have a Rails app. Oh my gosh, last night I was at a restaurant, I met this guy who's passionate about the future of web design. Right. That's how it works. People need to be able to talk about your business. People need to talk about people. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Seth Godin said that one time. He said, look, if you're getting interviewed by somebody and they're asking you bad questions and you're giving bad answers, whose fault is that? Your fault. Your fault, exactly. And it's the same thing when I ask you what you do, Please have a good answer for me. Why not? Because now I'm going to go to other people and say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my, there you go. And to be honest, I didn't hear a lot of that stumbling in our masterminds. So Part of the I reason is, and, and I, here's where we'll hook this up. 
on this episode, the URL here is tropicalmba.com slash conference, tropicalmba.com slash conference. I'm going to put up the worksheet that helps people construct that value proposition in less than a minute. Awesome. Sound good? All right. So the next talker was Peter Shankman. Uh, not not the next talker, the opening talker for the DC BKK Conference 2013, Peter Shankman. Right. So we were the opening talkers. And then we, uh, Rob Walling always said, start off your conference strong, right? So we went to a virtual unknown on the online space, someone no one has ever heard of, someone who has accomplished very little. <laughs> Peter Shankman, the founder of Haro.com, uh, an accomplished speaker, uh, wow. You can just An entrepreneur, obviously. Incredible. There's a lot of takeaways that I had specifically from Peter Shankman's talk, but I just want to talk about meeting a guy like Peter in general and what that means about what we're trying to do here. There's something that ties DCers together, and I think everybody in the room feels this, and it's not the level at which, like, it's not how much money you make. Right. It's a kind of an attitude, and Peter is a great example of that because he's this incredibly successful, famous dude, right? But... He represents to me that DC attitude. Of, he's one of the most helpful guys I've ever run into. And, and to further that, a lot of people say, oh, to become famous and wealthy, it's a trade-off. You got to be a jerk. You got to do this. You got to, once you get there, all your friends are going to try to steal your money. And it, it's just not worth it, man. And then you look at a guy like Peter and you're like, uh, that looks pretty awesome because the way that he is generous, the way that he reaches out to people, how kind he is, it's just not that stereotype of the successful entrepreneur guy. And I think that that, to me, is inspiring. Yeah, totally inspiring. Peter is a, uh, a very interesting guy. He gave a talk on the value of being nice in your business. Yeah, and he's not talking about just shaking people's hands. He's talking about that every single time somebody touches your brand, that's a chance to give them value. And to me, this might be one of the key distinctions of what traditional businesses are doing and what we're doing is in the internet economy, there's a whole new value to being generous and to promoting your brand's values through your actions and not by just saying, we're 100% fresh fruit or we're the best company out there. Like so everything has changed now. And Peter is living proof. I mean, this guy actually lives what he preaches. So uh, Peter wakes up every morning. Uh, I think he wakes up like really early, like uh, four o'clock in the morning. And he tells people, hey, if you want to meet with me and talk about your business, I mean, uh, this is Peter Shangman. If you want to <laughs> meet with me and talk about your business, uh, just ping me on Skype. Give me a call, whatever. We'll meet up in Central Park while I'm doing my run, while I'm drinking my coffee. We'll meet up. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing that, you know, he puts himself out there at, even at this level to help people. And I think that uh, he's just living what he preaches, which is really, really refreshing. He took that approach with Haro.com, his former startup, replying to everybody, you know, going out of his way to help his customers. And because of that, he figures he got a 40% premium on, on the sale of that company. So we're not just talking about... Everybody thinks you're a cool dude and says, oh, Peter Shankman's a cool dude. We're talking about 40% more cheddar in the bank account, so that ain't bad either. Right. And the other thing, though, that he says uh, that's actually more important than being nice. So he said, you know, being nice is great. The only thing more important than being nice is revenue. That's right, because cash is oxygen. We're entrepreneurs here. That's the framework under which we're talking about. So don't think that this stuff is for the limp-wristed. That's in other words, we're starting to see these ballers emerge, the Tony Shays, the Peter Shankmans, the Derek Sivers, and they're saying, look, 
get serious about this stuff because this is the way business is being done in the 21st century. Next speaker, Mehdi Hadim from stronglifts.com. I remember meeting Mehdi in Berlin, shaking his hand, strong, firm handshake kind of guy. And <laughs> what do you do, Mehdi? Oh, I run a little site called Stronglifts. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That site. That site, the million unique visitors a month site. So I was really curious about how Medi grew a thriving, successful, paid community off the back of this blog that he wrote. But what came out in the speech that was even more impressive for me is that in 2007, Medi was working in a call center. Uh, for five years, Medi worked in a call center. Medi didn't have the college degree. He didn't. He wasn't uh, like a closet biologist or anything. He, he did- didn't know a lot of bloggers. He wasn't a scenester. He so- was a guy working in a call center that had a vision to start a site that focused on strong lifts or that focused on fitness. And the even cool thing is like when you meet Medi, he's no Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? He, he struggled with this idea of who am I to help people lift weights? And I think we all struggle with this when we start going out there and trying to be leaders, when we try to envision ourselves passing the onstage test. You know, are we going to be on the leading conference stage in five years? Who am I? Who am I? You know, and Mehdi said, you know what? I'd rather take that emotional risk than continue to answer these freaking technical support phone calls. So he took the advice he saw online and he implemented it. And that's just it. Uh, maybe the reason, part of the reason that Mehdi is a success is that the alternative was pretty bad. And that in, instead of going on information overload or, oh my gosh, there's just so much, it was like, look, I'm picking up phones all day long and this <laughs> sucks, so I'm gonna take any advice and I'm just gonna start freaking doing it. And maybe the people that are wait, waffling, oh my gosh, should I follow the Empire Flippers model or should I follow Pat Flynn's model or should I listen to these guys or should I listen to these Maybe your life's pretty good. Maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe things are going pretty good for you. It's not that big of a deal, you know. And I really resonated with Medi on that because I felt like ah, I can't do this crap anymore. Like I have to go. And there was this one part in Medi's speech where I think he like kind of mimed out the moment where he like threw down the headset, and I just picture that cheesy ass call center headset yeah. just being like. And this is the guy who teaches people how to lift. <laughs> it's like I'm. I'm done. <laughs> right. And he said uh, he said something that resonated with me too, uh, which was uh, I could never go back. Like he he knew that like the moment he walked out that door, there was no way that he could walk back. Like it would have been too embarrassing. Like he had no choice but to start this business. Uh, one other thing, just as a logistical thing about membership sites is that there's a huge problem with the technology and membership the sites. The technology sucks. Medi got up there and he's got a lot of members in his site. Um, and we're struggling with this too. Nobody has a solution to a good membership site. No. I mean, we're all screwing around with all these different platforms and none of them are really working. Medi's got two full-time developers it's working on his problem. technology It's problem. right there in front of everybody's face and no one is actually solving it. Um, I've Man, I had a great brainstorming session I've even told you about with George from sendout.com about well, wouldn't it be cool if you developed like a very simple edge rank that when you lo- logged into your membership site that you got information about the members that were closest to you or the topics that were on the key term? Yeah. How hard? That's not that hard, really. But no one has done it. Well, these are these are all kind of new problems, right? So these uh, micro community kind yes. of things. All right. So the next speaker before we go down the freaking rabbit hole of uh, membership sites, Rob Hanley. Um, we haven't really done a talk that was focused on consulting. We wanted to do this one this year because a lot of the people in the D.C. are, are PPC consultants or SEO consultants. And Rob Hamley's a guy who can make it happen when it comes to consulting. Uh, a couple of the principles that he is excellent at is choosing 
your targets. So you, you choose your clients, your clients don't choose you. And this is really hard in consulting because in consulting, like in one person, you're creating your own problem set because you're you're, you're, you're pitching on projects that are going to totally screw your workload. Yeah. It's kind of like how sales and operations are always at loggerheads in, in organizations. Right. Like well, if I sell this, then I'm going to have to go do a bunch of work. Exactly. So you're yeah. like kind of not incentivized to do it sometimes. You're like flipping on your own fire hose and then trying to drink from it, you know? But, but I like this idea that Rob is incredibly confident about identifying his targets and then helping them for free and then turning around and becoming the object that they want to work with rather than you're constantly going out there trying to pitch your stuff. And it's a little it seems it's one of those strategies that seems risky up front, but once I think you get schooled on it and you earn the confidence to do this kind of thing, it can become a really successful way to cut sales as a consultant. Yeah, one thing that stuck out for me is that Rob is a very confident guy, and uh, I think that that helps him a lot in his sales process and also the way that he handles his, uh, his clients. Yeah, you know, a lot of the other speakers were saying, Working on your confidence is one of the biggest ways to uplevel your game, and you definitely see that with Rob. Is he's confident enough to say, you know what? I'm going to invest a week going after this dude because I know in six months' time that's going to work out in some kind of relationship or business that's going to further me in my life and career. Right. Next speaker, Mr. Michael Covell. One of my top two or three slides of the entire conference, Michael Covell pulls up a slide where he ranks number two on iTunes. Like, Right below, um, I don't know, like MS, uh, MSNBC yeah. or something like that. And then there's like, you know, all, you, you name it, like financial guru. Kramer was up there. Kramer, CNN, right. Motley Fool. Uh, you know, I don't know who all these people are because I don't so, care. So he pulls up the slide and uh, Mr. Michael Covell is number two. And he's like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, and you expect, the, uh, you know, someone to say, you know, podcasting is everything. And he's you like, you worked really hard. You worked really hard. And, and you expect Michael Covell, he's this like really successful guy to be like, so I decided that I would take a brand distribution approach right. and that I would play the same game that the big guys are playing and that I would produce high quality audio content. And he was like, no, that means that it's bullshit. <laughs> and, uh, and None of it matters. Uh, but, but I love this idea, which is that I, there's, this, there's this anecdote that Michael shared from his childhood, which is when he was 21 years old, he got put into the Washington Post because he was running for mayor or whatever. And it, I think it showed him and it helped to show us that these things are kind of arbitrary and that um, he always talks about this distinction between being the best versus winning. Right, right. My, his point was, hey, I was in the Washington Post at 21. What does that tell you about the Washington Post? It's bullshit because <laughs> me running for mayor at 21 is bullshit. Right? He didn't win, but it just goes to show, hey, if I can get in there, why can't you? Yeah, and so you look at CNN podcasts or CNN network and they're number one. And we tend to think that means they're the best. And what Michael's trying to say is, no, that just means they're winning. Right. And if you want to win, you can too. And I, I, there's something compelling about Michael to me is that he's successful, but he continues to be humble and scrappy. Yeah. He continues to show anybody, whether you're making 100 bucks a month or $100,000 a month, that it's just a matter of seeing the matrix and having the will. And you can work your way in too. Uh, the biggest takeaway that I got from Michael uh, 
you know, he, he, he's been an entrepreneur for a long time. He's done a lot of interesting things in his career. But the one thing that stands out to me is that uh, he's brave. And that's the reason why he got into the Washington Post when he was 21. That's the reason that he's had a lot of success with his books, Turtle Trader included. Um, and that's the reason why he continues to work hard and be successful is because uh, at the core, I think he's just a very brave person. He doesn't feel like he has a lot to lose in this stuff, you know, and I think that that's really important. It's like, hey, let's let's go after this, man. We got nothing. We got nothing. Right. I want to be here. And uh, Michael told a story. Uh, he told a lot of stories, but he told a story about how he met one of his mentors, uh, a trader, uh, basically pestering him for 18 months, sending him faxes saying, these are the top 10 reasons why you must meet with Michael Covell. <laughs> Eventually, he got the meeting. And uh, it just goes without saying, man, when you got techniques and tactics like that, you like you just feel like you got nothing to lose and, and you know where you want to be and go for it. Speaking of tactics, the next speaker, Kaiser Sose, John Myers from johnmyers.com, opened up his talk with a smoke machine and a giant video of a rocket taking he off. He said, this is design. <laughs> design is a defensible competitive advantage. This is, I think, the idea that John is really trying to ram out home is design is not decoration. Design is not a slick looking logo at the top of your site, but design is a way that you can systematically and continually set your business apart from the people in your space. Hey, this is the thing that we've been employing, Dan, since day one. Uh, not at the Lifestyle Business Podcast. Not at the Lifestyle <laughs> Business Podcast, but um, you know, in, in, in areas of our business where we have the resources to. So we got into a couple markets early on and our defensible position was design. Yeah. We started designing better products. And uh, that, that might seem weird, but uh, I mean, we were winning on design and John wins on design. So he looks at a problem, specifically uh, uh, your, your, your business, not just your website, and he thinks about yeah. it through design. So what I like about John, is uh you know he's not just a website guy he's not just a user interface guy he is a, a problem solver through design so he'll actually he's he's really unique when he redesigns your website he has to understand your business right and that's how he wins yeah and he 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 really talks about everything so in the case of the LBP since people are familiar with it or the Tropical MBA podcast now that's a design move first off right because what one thing we notice is when we put one unit of energy over at LBP and then a few days later, we put one unit of energy over at Tropical MBA. When we combined them, it didn't equal two. We were getting more than two units of energy by focusing on one specific brand outlet. And then it's not only on our end, on the creation side, but on the distribution side, people are like, hey, you should, you're interested in those, these guys. You should check out Tropical MBA, Tropical MBA, Tropical MBA. It right. adds up to be more than the sum of its parts. The other thing about design I think is interesting is one of the key elements of our design is the design of our audio, the design of how we put together a program. Um, I'll just say something interesting that I don't think I've ever brought up again. A lot of times people ask me, oh, are you gonna have those guys who are launching on your podcast? Because they're coming out with that thing, are you gonna interview them? Right. And I always say no. And I never explain why. It's, a, it's an element of design. Here's the reason. Because I think what makes a good podcast, and there's a lot of things that make a good podcast, and this is your opportunity as an entrepreneur, you go do what you think. What I think is you have to trust the people who are talking. So if we have people on who are launching, 
you would think that maybe we have them on because they're launching and not because they're worth talking about. Right. And now I don't want to say we'll never have somebody on who's launching because maybe we do think that they're worth talking about and be, the launch is a, a, signi- a, a real news item that's something that's bigger than just the fact that they're launching. But you're talking about intent and you're talking about designing an experience and yes. you're talking about really thinking about the implications of what you're doing in your business. Part of what makes John a good designer is that he knows how to do everything. And so <laughs> he just says, designs everything, I'm a boss, you know. And, and that's part of it too is like you can't, you know, I love the idea of uh, the Valve Employee Handbook. They're looking for T's, right? You have like one area where this incredible depth and then you have a wide uh, breadth of, of knowledge. And I think John represents that. He knows how to push pixels, right? But it's his knowledge as a startup guy, as a guy who's raised investment, as a guy who's very social and has incredible social intelligence that he can combine all these things and turn it into pixels. Yeah, just uh, look back through our catalog here at the Tropical MBA and the Lifestyle Business Podcast and you'll find John on the podcast. So if you wanna hear more about John, just uh, click through. There's another thing too, a lot of business people will say things like, oh, you know, I'm only gonna read things that are relevant to my immediate business. I'm not gonna read a novel or I'm not gonna watch a movie. I don't think John would be in that camp. I think what he's saying is let yourself be broad if you have that expertise, because those things are gonna work the, their way in to what your craft is. So you as a designer, Ian, as a product designer, I know you had a broad range of experience. In John's case, that's punk rock, it's, it's travel. Those things find their way in. So don't shut them out because you think that, oh, I can only focus on PPC right now. That makes sense? That makes sense. Is that a little long-winded? That's a little long-winded. It's cool, it's my podcast, man. <laughs> Let's get on to the next thing, which is the podcasting panel. Uh, brought up some of my favorite podcasters. What a pleasure. So let's just go down through the list here. Terry Lynn, Chris Ducker, James Shramko, Joe Magnotti, Justin Cook, wow. Tim Connolly. Whoa, it's a big list. Uh, it was so much fun to be up there on stage. One of the, my biggest takeaways was if a panel isn't just an ego fest where it's like, and I wrote my book this year, and here's what I think about social media. And it, it was like this thing where you get a bunch of guys up on stage that have chops and then you bust them up, give them hard questions. Be like, all right, you got chops, what would you do in this situation? What would you do in this situation? All right, I'm gonna launch a podcast about this, what would you do? And it was awesome, I really had a fun time. Did you enjoy it? I had a great time listening to these guys. These guys are all seasoned veterans, podcast professionals, uh, doing their thing up there. A lot of them uh, disagreed with each other, a lot of them agreed with each other. It was cool. Uh, One thing uh, that I thought was interesting, six successful podcast guys, none of them are advertising on their show. I thought that was really interesting. Because these are all entrepreneurs. So if someone's advertising, that means they're monetizing your audience better than you are. And well, that's just a, that's just an ego blow to an entrepreneur. And a real entrepreneur wants to go down that value chain and say, "Screw the advertisers, man! I'm going to do that better than they're doing it." Yeah, and this is something, Dan, that we we went back and forth on for a while, right? And ultimately, we decided not to advertise. On you were the advertising guy. Oh, right? Of course. Let's put you. Let's put. Let's put you in the doghouse, man. I was dogging you all weekend. I was telling everybody how you were bus boy. That's actually kind of cool, though. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, uh, I, I just want to I just want to impress on this point. All these guys have successful podcasts, and none of them are advertising on their show. Let's take a brief uh, break to hear from our helpful advertisers, Ian. Bluehost. Go to audible.com. <laughs> it's annoying, right? Nobody Bluehost, wants Bluehost, Bluehost. nobody wants to hear that for the fifth time. Everybody knows where to get that stuff. Uh, just don't do it. It's it's it, it takes away from your show. 
it, and, it, and it loses my trust when I listen to your show. We had this idea called the one hour content rule, which is, all right, you don't want to do an iTunes show. You don't want to go through the mix and mangle of doing a podcast. At least strap on those cheesy call center headsets and record one hour of audio of you doing what you would do in a client meeting. Doing what you would do if you were having a sales situation. Walking yourself through a standard FAQ. People want to hear your voice. They want to understand that you have chops. They want to hear you work through the problem. You know, I'm not going to spend $5,000 on some person that I haven't heard talk. So don't let wait for your customer to get on the phone with you. Take the standard issue phone call and put it on your website. Let me talk, interact with you for an hour before I call you. That's a way that you can participate in the goodness of podcasting without actually launching a show and doing all that kind of stuff. One other final thing, if all this sounds intimidating, go to authorityengine.com. That's authorityengine.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Let's do a live ad read. When I'm sitting around wondering how to launch a podcast, I call Ben Kruger. I call Ben Kruger from authorityengine.com. When I'm overwhelmed by life and by audio technology. I call Ben Kruger. I call Ben Kruger. Ben Kruger didn't pay us to say this. We paid Ben Kruger to say this. Wow, Ben must feel like a baller right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy, thanks for editing this podcast late. It's been a crazy week. Peter Keller. Peter Keller. I Peter think Keller. Uh, Peter Peter Keller was the one that uh, that pulled on our heartstrings the most at the conference. He's the guy that opened up and explained what was going on in his business, his failures, his successes. The title of Peter's talk was Three Million in Three Years and Three Mistakes That I Made. Yeah, Peter Keller is like one of these guys that's a rising star, someone that you've long put on my radar, someone that we've admired in terms of his manufacturing, his knowledge. The guy, when he talks, you can see why he's successful immediately. He's surgical in terms of his strategic deployment of his business. And I just want to uh, tell a little story here. Uh, this is how Peter opened up his talk. And this is, this is probably one of the best marketing stories that I've ever heard. It just really resonated with me. So Peter, uh, he used to uh, be a sourcing director for a company that manufactured uh, like electronics uh, in, in, in home goods like refrigerators. This product in particular was a, a wine uh, refrigerator, right? And so he brought it over to the United States, $60,000 worth of this product. It came in in the United States with a, a temperature display that read in Celsius. Rough. And so he thought, oh crap, what are we going to do? Because, you know, people in the States read in Fahrenheit. We always used to have the same refrain too. Uh, when we used to deal with Chinese suppliers, we'd always say, China, yeah. China. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. This is very typical if you work in China, you know, to, to get goods in and, and to have this kind of issue. And it really taught us a lot too. Back in the day, we said, how are we going to troubleshoot this? How are we going to send out this podium with bad wheels on it? How are we going to make this work? So Peter shut his door. He thought about it, he had a team meeting, and then ultimately what they decided to do was send out a little card with a conversion kit that said, you know, this is how you convert Celsius to Fahrenheit. And by the way, why would you want to store your French wine in something that wasn't a French cooler? Yeah, there you go. I love it. That's uh, turning lemons into lemonade. <laughs> Peter Keller uh, started FrenchSport.com. Here's the interesting thing to me. We talk about this conception of choosing your battles in business being the most important thing. He was saying Tony Shea calls it table selection. Uh, Joe Magnotti is a poker player, and he said, you know, you can get so good at poker, but at, at the end of the day, what you're actually doing is you're selecting games to play. We do the same thing with niche selection. P Peter's jumping on the back of this CrossFit movement, and the story of the movement in many ways will be the story of his business because he's just a little temperature gauge, the turkey temperature taker, as we say, right. in that movement, it is a barometer 
for the overall movement's health. And yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, he's done a lot of work to figure out where, where the CrossFit movement is going, how many gyms are open, how much these guys buy. Absolutely. So uh, when he did his niche algorithm selection, and I hope one of these days we can publish ours that we're still working on. Yeah. Anyways, he did a niche algorithm selection. What does uh, that mean? So basically, he, he had a couple niches when he started his business. Uh, I think he was looking at watches, and he was also looking at CrossFit equipment. And he kind of uh, set out to figure out which one was going to be the best for him. And ultimately, he, he picked CrossFit equipment. Right. But I think it's really important because, like you said, table selection. What table do I want to be sitting at? Where are watches going in the future? What, what is the future in watches? And I think Peter picked right with this uh, fringe port thing because CrossFit is definitely a home run in the United States right now. To me, like table, this idea of t- table selection, the metaphor that always works for me, is like riding a bike. As an entrepreneur, you're just pedaling your wheels, right? You're pedaling, 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 and maybe you take a little modafinil and you pedal a little faster. Maybe you find yourself in a healthy relationship, you pedal just a little bit faster, but really what are the variations of that stuff? Now, the real question for the entrepreneur and what Peter put in front of us so beautifully, what gear are you in? That's the interesting question because that's your lever. That's your multiplication of your effort. And in our community, there's probably too much talking about how can I wake up earlier? How can I go to bed later? How can I attend fewer cocktail parties? These kinds of things. But really, Peter Keller's like, I selected the right lever. Speaking of levers, maybe the most interesting element of Peter's talk was how he dealt with partnerships and how important it is when we're just getting started with businesses. It's so common to be sitting across from one of those cocktail parties with your best friend and say, hey man, you know what the deal is coming next. It's not a good one, whatever it's gonna be. And these things are fun at the beginning, but when you get into a situation like Peter's in, where there's millions of dollars rolling through the door, it's fun, but it's a different kind of fun. It's real fun. It's real fun. And, and that real fun better find its way into a contract. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, Peter Peter uh, shared some pretty intimate details on the state of his partnerships and why it's so important uh, upfront to A, plan on success, and B, write all this stuff down. That's what we talk about, planning on success. Shramko talks about this, we'll get to that later, which is really visualize when you were talking about a warehouse full of parking podiums, a warehouse full of cat furniture. What does that look like? Well, you gotta have a warehouse guy. Well, you gotta have an insurance policy. Well, you gotta, gotta, gotta. Do well, you your margins re- better be this. Do you really want what you dream of? Right. And I think Peter's one of those guys that is good at visualizing those things in real terms, putting it on spreadsheets and being there with that success. All right, next speaker, Jody Ettenberg. So Jody Attenberg, soup lover, soup aficionado, buys us soup regularly. When when Jody comes knows the best soups. When Jody comes to Ho Chi Minh City, we are like like a line of chickens just following her around, you know, like a line of little ducklings or something. <laughs> like we're just like take us for soup soup zombies is what we call it. Because she has this incredible depth of understanding of food and the stories behind food. And that's compelling to people. Like we wanna hear the story of what we're eating. We wanna eat the best stuff. That's part of the reason why people follow Jody. But as a food writer, I think it's cool to see she's a little bit bait and switchy because when she got up on stage and talked about social media, it was like scientific. And that's a really cool mix of having this deep passion that's sort of artistic for the food. But then to get up there and say, Here's how you get like gazillion freaking followers. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't really lay that out, but she said, uh, so she did her talk again on social media. And what I took away was here's how to be deliberate from your social media. Yeah. Here's how to have intention. Here's how to 
act within, you know, she, she basically has guidelines for what she thinks. And it's pretty cool because I think that she's a very successful person on Twitter, but she's also a tastemaker. So she said, this is how, this is how you don't piss people off. This is the way to use Twitter. And I like that. Uh, she was coming forward with an opinion about that. Yeah. And there's specific techniques that make stories and narratives shareable. And this isn't ho-hum, funsies, high fives on social media. I mean, this is the mechanics of shareability. And how can you get other people to talk about your brand? Look at the Manal guys making $341,000 on Kickstarter. It, in part, they've got a great product. In part, it's something that people really want, people want to get behind. But why? Why do people want to be a part of that narrative? Why do people want to share it? Do you think it's luck? I don't think so. There are mechanics behind how you can duplicate that success in your business. Take what these huge social media players are doing and bake that in to what your what your products are about. And I think that's that's the kind of the idea here. Here's another thing that I find very interesting about what what Jody's doing is that she's so surgical in the way she lays out these tactics and how you can envision yourself doing them that if you just go and be your initial real self on Twitter and you don't understand the medium, you might be less successful than if you followed a formulaic version of what she's talking about. So we have a lot to learn about best practices on these emerging platforms. Yeah, and I think the number one thing uh, that separates somebody like Jody is that, like you said, she's very surgical and she doesn't self-promote. Yeah. And I thought this this was like a really important point. So uh, a lot of us uh, will get on Twitter and we'll say, oh, look what I did this weekend. I'm so cool. Things like that. Uh, that's that's amateur, right? right? Jody doesn't do that. She uses the medium as a platform to promote her thoughts, but uh, not in a selfish way. Ideas that her audience finds compelling. Yeah. So if I know we've all been guilty of this. If you're ever going to say, I'll just blast it out. Right? I'm just yeah. gonna blast it out. I'm just gonna toss it up on Twitter. I'm just gonna use it as a billboard or whatever. Uh, you're really losing a longer term equity game that you're trying to play with your audience. You're trying to move your market forward and be part of that story. It was a really, really compelling talk. I think a lot of the business guys in the room are like, oh yeah, social media. And then by the end they're like, oh, social media. And this is how you do it. <laughs> uh, thanks Jody for that great talk. Finally, we ended the, ended the conference with Mr. James Shramko. Obviously, the listeners of this podcast are very familiar with James. He asked me what would be the best thing for that I could bring to the room. And to me, one of the critical challenges that people in our audience face is how to go from making a living to making a killing. People have quit their jobs. They make six figures. It's a good little thing, you know, and we kind of seize up a little bit. It's like, hey, I'm making good money. I'm scared of ruining the business that I've created by going for the big times. And so I said, maybe you could share with us some mindsets around how one gets big. Because I think James is excellent at that. He's been doing it even before he was an entrepreneur as a guy who ran uh, high-end dealerships. Right. So uh, what are some things that James brought to us? Uh, first thing that James brought to us was he, like a lot of people, uh, just wasn't very confident as a child and even as an adult, right? So he told a story uh, when he was running the Bent dealership. He would go unlock a car, uh, and I think he had like 100 cars to unlock in the morning, you know, to get the dealership ready for business. He said, I am the best. I am the best. And he opened the cars and he said this, and, and that's what got him to believe that he was actually the best, and that was one of the techniques that he used to sell more. But I think the point here is like uh, a lot of us just aren't born with confidence. We're just not uh, seeping confidence. You actually have to convince yourself right. of these things. Yeah. It's like this idea of just intentionality and like knowing what you want. And it does seem that there's this kind of fundamental leadership quality or confidence. It's difficult to imagine 
James Schramko being who he is if he didn't intentionally build that skill set. Yeah. And so the the other thing uh, that I think was interesting about his talk was, uh, well, there's a lot of interesting things, but... It was great talk. Uh, he, he really What was interesting is how to give a great talk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He, he actually approached our audience, I think, in a way that was useful for them. So he, he really took the time to understand who DCers were, and then he kind of tailored his approach around that. And I think that's what makes a great speaker, is if you can understand your audience. And one of the things that he said about DCers and kind of lifestyle business guys is, hey, you've got a great opportunity on your hands here to crush it. Don't let the coconuts get in your way. Yeah. And I think that this is something that we've talked about, but we, we maybe we haven't hit on it hard enough, which is like, if you really want to make it to the big leagues, like don't let yourself get stalled out by the $5,000 and not, now I'm comfortable living in Chiang Mai. Yeah. Don't get accustomed to paying two cents for tacos. You know, James says, hey man, I live in Sydney. It's like one of the most expensive places on the world. I got to pay $15 in tacos. That means that I got to make a lot more money than you. Right. And so and if that's me. It's going to be a lot of tacos. Exactly. <laughs> You're screwed. Uh, but but don't don't lead yourself into this trap where where you're living a very low cost lifestyle and and that's all that you leave yourself for income potential. So I think it's really important as you're starting out as an entrepreneur and for us especially, you know, keep your expenses low, but but don't let that limit how much you can really make. Here's another thing is that when you do the whole Chiang Mai thing and you free yourself up from a lot of the ties that maybe are holding you back. Um, you might find yourself in a position where you're not responsible for much. And what James did, he has this really cool inversion, the Spider-Man inversion, where he yep. says, w- you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, invert it. What does it mean? With great responsibility comes great power. And I actually, this is something that has been very important to me. I've found that another way to talk about entrepreneurship is to talk about either great care or great responsibility. Entrepreneurs make themselves responsible for things like the outcomes of their clients, like the paychecks of their employees, like the future of their industries. If you're willing to take on responsibility, you're gonna see great power. And that's what it takes to get to scale. And it look, it doesn't need, it's just like commitment in terms of your art. It might be scary on the outside, but I think once you find yourself there, it's a position that's better. It's a position that you have more purpose, more direction. And so this is a very compelling idea to me. And he also said, uh, you know, I don't know too many entrepreneurs, and we've said this before too, I don't know too many entrepreneurs that have $5 million businesses that don't have a team. Yeah. Like, show me one. So if you want to make $5 million, start envisioning yourself with a team around you. Yeah, maybe a couple insurance policies to boot. And one final thing, uh, the, the absolute... Uh, reductionist Pareto principle, 4% of what you are doing is getting you 64% of your results. That's a really profound idea. In particular, if you're building up that team, why not focus them on that 4% and build it out? I think that's a very interesting idea about how James simplifies, focuses on what's really critical to getting the result that he sees We have a lot to learn from Mr. Shramko. All right, so thank you again to all of our speakers. They put in a ton of effort to provide value to DCers. And any final thoughts on the the event this year, just in general? Yeah, I just want to highlight real quick how good we are at throwing a party. (laughs) Uh, So I don't know too many conferences. No, come on, that's not fair. I think that when I look at this, the responsibility is not on us because how hard is it to walk into Bangkok and find a cool venue? <laughs> You're right. We didn't do much. We didn't do much. The closing party was on the 47th floor of a, of a skyscraper. Uh, the thing was swaying with energy. It, the, the reason this was so much fun is simple. You have 200 people in the room that know each other by one to two degrees of separation that are actively creating compelling and explosive narratives that tie in with the other people in the room, and finally, people that share the same values. 
Uh, before, when we were doing this in 2008, we were lonely. We were trying to go to meetup.com, hanging out with guys that were like flipping houses or something in California, whatever. Now we're talking about people that can hear a presentation about the connective value of social media and about the value of being nice online and about abundance mindsets. And everybody's nodding their head. Like everybody understands the implications of this connective economy on our businesses. We share these values. We share the value of a flat world of multiple incorporations of buzzing around to different countries of VAs in the Philippines and factories in China and this and that. There's something about it. When you get everybody in the room, it's magic. It doesn't matter. Like I said, if you make a million bucks, you make a hundred thousand bucks. If you haven't made your first dollar, one guy made his first dollar at the conference. It was the first time he left his country is out of this world. It didn't matter. Nobody was saying, why is that guy here at this party? Everybody knew why that guy was there. He right. shared his values. Wow, you really took it to another level. I was quite literally just talking about throwing a party and drinking beer because we <laughs> did that like four or five times this weekend. DCers know how to party. They know how to get t- have a good time, but they also know how to show up, most of them, at 9 o'clock in the morning for the conference. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that attended. Uh, Dan and I are very, very, very happy with the outcome and hope to see you all next year. Yeah, it's not an early-to-bed group of people, and this particular podcast was not an early-to-shut-off sort of a 20-minute ramble uh this was something that we were excited about and if you stuck around at the end of the episode and you came to the event thank you so much one of the highlights of uh, of our business career anyway uh it's tropical mba podcast this one will be at tropicalmba.com slash conference and we'll be back to join you next thursday morning Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.